Hey everyone, how's it going? Hope you had a great Easter. I did. It was fun, family, all that good stuff. Hang on, let me get stuff adjusted here. I'm gonna have so much fun. I'm running late. So let me get this going here. I apologize for being a couple minutes late here, maybe two or three minutes. Let me get everything positioned here so I can do this. Welcome. We're also going to be going out on TikTok Live tonight. So let me get things going for TikTok. And uh, we're going to have some fun tonight. It's going to be a good night. Ready? Wow, we just crashed out of TikTok. Hang on. Let me see what's going on here. Give me a minute, guys. Give me a minute to do this. I've never crashed out of TikTok before. Resume live. Yeah, I don't know why. Kick me out. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. And we are also, um, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Uh, we're 45 strong up and down the state. Uh, that means if you have a paranormal issue, uh, we can help. Uh, but it might take us a while to get to you because California is a big state. And um, let me catch my breath. I've just been running around. California is a big state. So uh, we have psychics on staff that can call you and speak with you and, you know, set up something and maybe calm things down at your home or, res or business or whatever. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody out there, Facebook and all those places. And I want to welcome this crowd on TikTok. I really appreciate you coming in. Every Sunday, we try to read from a paranormal theme book. And uh, last Thursday, just, uh, we had a guest that was ill. We ended up reading from the other book we had by Anna Maria Manalo, and uh, we finished it. So this Sunday, we get to start a brand new book, and it's by M Michelle Zirkel. And it's based on paranormal events that happened to her in her life. So it's based on true stories. So I think you guys will enjoy it. Now, for what it's worth, if you're watching from Facebook and you like what you hear, please hit those like buttons and those hearts and and all that, because that helps us with the with the algorithm. Uh, and also, if you haven't done so already, please feel free to follow us. Um, you, you, know, you can get updated to our shows, which we do Monday through Sunday. Uh, I'm sorry, Sunday through Friday. Shows you what I know. If you're watching from YouTube, same thing. Uh, if you like what you hear tonight and you're into these stories, please feel free to like, because that helps us with, with, with this algorithm thing. And if you haven't done so already, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner that you can click on, and that will get you to subscribe. We've got more than 571 videos sitting over there on YouTube, and uh, I'm sure you'll find something you like, because I don't always concentrate on uh, paranormal. I just, you know, I just don't, because I'm a journalist, and I, I like to vary it. Okay, now for everybody coming over on TikTok, who's watching on TikTok tonight, welcome, and... Uh, same thing. I'm going to be reading from a paranormal theme book. It's a true story written by Michelle Zirkel. Uh, it's based on what she experienced in her own house, her, her and her family. So we're going to be starting that today. In fact, I'm all set up to go with Kindle. And please, uh, I'm looking for likes. So if you do me a favor and uh, tap that screen for likes, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're trying to build our TikTok presence up. And we don't only do this. We do psychic readings on this page. We also... Um, we also tell we also do ghost stories and live ghost hunts. So if this is something that you'd enjoy, if you if you're into the paranormal, this is the way to go. We've been in, this team has been together for almost 25 years, and we have a lot of experience in dealing with with paranormal things. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and start reading, 
And uh, welcome again, welcome to everyone on TikTok. Welcome to everybody at Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, and uh, Instagram, and everybody that's come in. Okay, I really appreciate you guys being here. So I'm going to read. And like I said, if you if you like what you hear and uh, you enjoy it, feel free to hit those like buttons and feel free to tap the screen over there. All right. I think I feel like I'm forgetting something. What am I forgetting? I think I'm getting senile. I forgot to say something tonight. I'll probably think of it in the middle of the show. Okay, so please over. Okay, so this is what we do. Ah, yes. So, I mean, everybody's full. Everybody had their Thanksgiving meals. So, what I would suggest is you don't have to look at me. But if you like a good ghost story, maybe sit back on your couch, take your shoes off, close your eyes, lower the lights, and listen to the show. That's a good way to do it, right? Okay, so I will be reading for about an hour out of this book, and it's called Rain No Evil. So here we go. And again, if you if you hear something you like, please, please, please tap that screen, and everybody else hit those like buttons. Something about his crooked grin snagged me. When his chestnut eyes winked my way, I knew we'd, we'd contracted to love each other, if not before that moment. Then right then and there in the firehouse that on Saturdays transformed into the hottest teenage spot in town. Let me get this going so I can get my little button up to change the page. Ah. It seems like only yesterday, Alex was clutching my waist on that dark dance floor that was spinning faster than we were dancing as the wine coolers I downed fizzed through my petite frame. Obviously, it's not about me. The way Alex hovered over me while Tom Petty serenaded us was free-falling. The way he bent to kiss me, I knew he was my appointed guardian. Before we married, Alex would call me Pooh Bear as he ushered me into his Mustang. But now... Hold the dang thing still, Alex, ye Alex yells above the sound of a heater blazing in the corner of the garage. I'm trying, I say, shifting my balance on the ladder that's digging into my thigh. Benching 110 pounds, no problem. But balancing this huge slab of drywall above my head, impossible. I search Alex's face for a glimpse of the compassion in his eyes that, that first loved me. But he's glaring at me from his side of the drywall. He doesn't see the real me anymore. The real me. The compassionate, cheerful girl with a moral compass. With a moral compass that points due north. Has died a bit more every day since I became his wife. What would Alex do if I really weren't alive anymore? Bet when I'm gone, primed and stuffed with embalming fluid, he'll ooze eloquence like the other mourners who will peer into my casket saying to my beloved Alex, oh, she's so beautiful. Look, like, like I'm going to need a compliment then. What kind of sicko says that anyway? I'll hover above the casket and scream through the others at the do-gooder. I'm not really pretty. I'm dead. Dang it. I don't need to be attractive. I'll yell at Alex the loudest. Tell him to redirect his compliments to one of his many girlfriends. I don't want to be on this ladder, yet here I am, trying to help my Alex. Wooten County's very own walking tall version of Justice, who swung his hickory stick so long that he's callous not only not only the hand that once slid a ring of mine, he's callous his heart. Screws from Alex's hand clink to the concrete floor as a cramp courses up my arm. Jeez, he says, sweat creasing his face like a crooked country road. He jams the screwdriver into the one remaining screw, gripping the trigger until the screw is as tight as my chest and swipes his arm across his forehead. You got this? I don't know if, but Alex is already backing down the ladder. 
Pressing my toes harder on the rung, I stretch until my palms won't slide any farther toward Alex's side. I can't reach the edge, and the drywall droops. Alex's head sways over the garage floor. Dang it, where'd they go? I feel my arms giving under the pressure, and a spasm shoots down my back, but I manage a shallow breath. I wish he'd hurry. He'll be, he'd be so mad if I drop. My arms cave under the weight, and I duck, shoving the drywall away from me. Chunks splinter onto the concrete, narrowly missing, missing Alex's Harley. The largest intact portion of the drywall slams into his calf as he scampers to escape. He trips, his forearm smacking the front bumper of the four-wheeler as his knees hit the cement floor. What the hell are you doing? He screams, scrambling to stand. Are you crazy? Grabbing the top ledge of the ladder, I freeze. My pride lies scattered among the broken drywall at Alex's feet. Doesn't he know how much I want to impress him with my strength? Alex stares at me, nostrils flaring. I said, what the hell are you doing? The remainder of his rant blows past me. The only discernible sound is a thumping in my ears. This can't be happening again. Alex, so nice this morning. He kissed my neck and thanked me for breakfast. Just when I think there's hope of him changing, he goes ballistic. Like, like the fools he arrests. Why, oh, there's a word that I can't, I can't use on Facebook, sorry. Like those that he arrests for domestic violence. Alex holds his tantrums to a roar. But what will I do if he gets physical and slings me against the wall like a ragdoll? Will I have the courage to leave him then? Almost hit my bike, he says, snatching the largest piece of drywall and leaning it against the weightlifting bench. Clench my fist, clenched fists hang by his side making the man who promised to love and cherish me look like Thor ready to battle the serpent. Trembling, I cling to the ladder, hoping Alex won't sling me off of it. But I'm not letting him see I'm afraid. I told you to move it before we started. Dang it. Can't you do anything right, he says. All I wanted was a little help today. That too much to ask? I hold firm to the ladder. I don't need this crap. I don't need Alex. I imagine Ryan, a flame from the past, his arms around me, my face cradled in his hands. But I can't run back to Ryan. That's only a temporary fix, and I want a permanent solution. I want my marriage to work. I want Alex whispering in my ear every morning. Love you, babe, but I don't possess the magic to make that happen. Tears burn my eyes, and I turn my head. He hates it when I cry. It was heavy. I say my legs twitching as I descend the ladder. You know what? You know what? Go away. Go away. I storm out of the garage, pleased with myself for using the big girl word. I can't say it, but go away. Okay, we'll leave it at that. And stomp up the side steps to the house. Each room I pass feels too close to him. I, I smack my chalky hands over my ears, attempting to drown Alex's voice. But the echo closes in on me. I need to get out of here. Seconds later, I punch the button on the radio in the shower and launch a scream into space, sobbing as water pounds my back. I can't take this anymore. I deserve better. I close my eyes and scratch the lavender-scented loofah across my skin as if I could scrub away the insults. Randy Travis croons through the radio how he's going to love someone forever and ever. I want to mute the memories of dancing with Alex and of the intimacy we once shared, but I listen and revel in my suffering as images of a happier us pour over me. We've dug our heels into the mire of a marriage, anchoring each other through many monsoons. But rust has eroded our anchor with each flap of Alex's open mouth, and I feel lost at sea. 
I can't keep drifting. I need to change course. I raise my face, allowing the shower to wash my worthless tears down the drain. God, I say, collapsing into the shivering ball, into a shivering ball on the shower floor. I just want Alex to treat me like he loves me, to stop screaming at me. But nothing I say penetrates his missile-proof head. I hug my legs to my chest, warm water caressing my shoulders as I let hopelessness wash over me. All my prayers for a happy marriage were a waste of time, just like me praying to an unseen God, an invisible being who's supposed to love me, yet permits Alex to flatten me with every word. He speaks as if I'm a penny on a railroad track. I mean, where the hell is this God when I need help? God, I say. Why can't you make Alex hear himself the way I hear him? Force him to realize he speaks to me like I'm one of the criminals he arrests. If he could just hear himself, maybe he would be nice to me. Maybe we could enjoy each other again. I swipe my bangs out of my eyes and wring the water from my hair. And as for the crap I hear at church about how when I feel alone you're actually carrying me, well, I jab my finger toward heaven and shout into the empty air, BS. I pull off the cold tile. I push off the cold tile and stand as water slaps my face. So here's to the God I'm not sure is listening. Since you can do anything, how about proving to me you're real? How about that? I sling the faucet off. If he is real, he got an earful today, him and all his angels. I may go out in a blaze tomorrow, but I'll be danged if I'm speaking out like a, ch like a church mouse. Squeaking out like a church mouse. Sorry, guys. If God does exist, I want to know so I can avoid the consequential hell I'm, con I'm convinced myself I deserve for committing adultery. Growing up in a church pew, I never considered questioning whether God actually existed or even dared to think of it. But now, now I'm too scared to not question because to not question means I'll never know the answer during this lifetime. It means I haven't searched hard enough for the spirit for nothing. That would make me judge of my own actions. And if I'm the one holding the gavel, this court's in recess. I need to examine the evidence. I need to determine if I'm justified to mess around on Alex because he treats me like he hates me. Even more importantly, I need to decide if living with the tormented vacillation of trying to make Alex happy one day, failing, and messing with someone else the next is worth it. The slog on the radio has Travis Tret spelling one word I want to find a little right now. T-R-O-U-B-L-E. Alex, that fool, is not going to break me. I'll show him I can be happy without his love. Maybe I'll call Ryan, get a hug. Nothing wrong with that. The hoodie feels soft on my skin, still trickling with droplets I missed. I hustle down the stairs, each step creaking like it's mocking me for not having silenced them eight years ago when we first moved in. But delicate repairs require finesse, and Alex is a demolition man. I need an excuse to be by myself for a bit, so I'll fake a store trip. I toss cans of veggies and boxes of cereal in plastic bags, tuck the bags into the trunk of my car parked outside, and head into the garage to face the renovation king. When I step inside, Alex glances up and continues sawing a piece of drywall. Going to the store, need anything? I say, hoping he doesn't. Nope. He grabs a slab off the sawhorses. All I need was your help, and I definitely can't count on that. I want to punch him in the gut, knock the wind out of his, knock the wind out of him, tell him he is 
He's not the only one who's disappointed. But there's no use for me to explain that I feel disrespected. He won't understand. Just call me. Just call me a name. I turn to find a breath of freedom on the highway, leaving Alex fondling his dry, his precious drywall. I need somewhere quiet to think, to erase the recording of Alex's voice playing in my head. As I roll along the concrete conveyor to wherever, West Virginia, sunlight reflecting from the ice strewn river beckons me closer. So I slide on my shades and turn toward Richland's levee. I ease into my favorite spot under the tree, no noticing several druggies waiting their turn to exchange cash for hash through the open window of the marine car at the upper end of the lot. Despite the drug element, I'm more comfortable here than at home with my own husband. Here, all I can hear are my thoughts, as frantic and desperate as they are. At least they're mine, not Alex's irrational, malicious ones. A girl with scraggly hair walks to the maroon car. I wonder if she's more desperate than I am and what tragic events led her to drugs. Was it sexually abusive father growing up in a family of users, or maybe she lost her self-respect like me? Let someone convince her that she has nothing and her opinion is as worthless as crumb-fed to an alligator. I need this cycle of love and, I, and hate between Alex and me to the end. Then the thought seizes me. It wouldn't take much for me to open my door and jump in line behind her. My hand goes to the car door. I'm no better than she is. She sticks drugs in her mouth to numb the pain. I used to stick other things in mine to numb my pain. But the shame from those illicit encounters lingers even years later. A fix has to be less humiliating than being pro by a man who doesn't love me or even worse by some stranger I picked up in the market. I look through the window and it was into the eyes, the empty eyes, of a girl who looks like the living corpse I imagined myself to be. I jerk my hand from the door. I'm not empty. I'm full. Somewhere inside the galaxy, my head is spinning. My head is spinning in is this joyful girl caught, caught this joyful girl who caught lightning bugs and giggled while they squirmed inside her hand. Somewhere, there is a dreamer who scribbled her best-selling novel into her eighth-grade tablet, wanting to leave something tangible for the generations to come. My gaze lands on the Ohio River, the humble skyline at Mud Sock Heights framing the opposite bank. The river seems to return my blank stare. It's not going anywhere, just like me. I'm stuck. Stuck in a deceitful existence. I lie to be happy, lie to be loved. I move like the water that goes nowhere, but still fills the basin as it weaves around its banks and disappears around the bend. I realize I'm holding my breath and preventing air from entering my lungs. Oh, I realize, I'm sorry. I realize I'm holding my breath and preventing air from entering my lungs is not going to preserve me in a catacomb of peace, but the river. The glistening river seems to wink near me. I don't have to be here. I could be dead and then Alex would be sorry. I'd like him to be sorry. Sorry for just half the nasty, hateful words he said to me over the 14 years together. A pickup pulls in beside me, so I turn and leave my back against the door. The notion of numbingly cold water surrounding me, sucking me deeper into the icy darkness makes me shudder. A mirage of Ben and Isaac's faces floats by. My boys. What would happen to my boys? They're at their granddad's right now, probably shooting BB guns and arguing over who's the most accurate shot. They've grown up so fast, but they're still my babies. I'll never leave them over some dumb man like mom did Luke. Like mom, like mom did Luce and me. 
and definitely not intentionally drown myself like I'm the weak like I'm the weak house of twigs. The wolf blew down. No siree. I'll take on every man in town to numb the pain before I'll slam myself into a wet coffin, leaving my boys motherless. I don't need pot to feel better. One hug from Ryan and I'll be soaring. I call him right now, but I don't want to break my two-year good girl streak and make a decision I'll regret. Okay, again, for everybody, we are reading from our Sunday Paranormal book that we read from every every week. Uh, people on TikTok, uh, if you like what you hear, please help me out. Tap that screen. Show, show me some love. Show me some hearts. Uh, that goes for everybody else that's watching from all the other networks. You know, give me some thumbs up and things like that. I really appreciate it. We continue. A door slams. A young man rounds the front of the truck to my left and opens the door for a giggling blonde-haired girl. He reaches up, grasping her waist as she wraps her legs around his hips and free falls into his kiss. Alex and I used to enjoy each other like that. I watched the couple stroll hand in hand, stopping every few steps to smooch. I want to be a blonde with someone's arms around me. I want to feel woozy in love with Alex again. But the closest I may get to that feeling is the one I used to conjure when I was seeing other men. It was easier to pretend I was in love with them than it was to actually be in love with Alex. Caresses from men who never belittle me or scorn me, I accepted easily, stirring them inside my head until they melted into that gooey, in-love feeling I wanted. That gooey recipe used to be instant and genuine with Alex, or so I thought. He used to touch me like a delicate flower whose petal may drop at any moment, like he cherished my skin, my heart, my whole being, and I felt nourished, wanting to blossom into the most gorgeous flower he'd ever laid eyes on. I thought that feeling was all I needed, but what I really needed was for Alex to talk with me as an equal inquisitor in this world, for him to entertain my curious questions about the origins and purpose of life, my speculations of what God is or who he is. I needed Alex to share his thoughts and accept mine without dismissing the importance of my proposed conversations like they were as unnecessary as a toboggan at the Bahamas. Physically, Alex satisfies me, but mentally, he's a bully and a bore. And I'm not sure which is more pathetic. A bully I can tame with wit, but how do I inspire abstract conversation in a man who dismisses any notion beyond his understanding and scoffs at the idea that there's anything he can, can't control? To avoid an argument, I often let him think I agree with him or that I'll do whatever he wants, but he can't really control me. Somewhere tucked inside of me is the seed of my existence that was placed here by a higher power. The seed full of potential for what I might become, and it was planted in love. I just need to figure out how to nurture it so it can sprout, and I can grow into it liking myself. If I could love myself again, I wouldn't have to seek love from Alex or any other man ever again. I see. Let's go do that. Okay, we're doing... Okay. Not when I'm having sex with Alex. I don't expect a soul-to-soul -soul conversation either, before or after. I let him manipulate my body and his for our mutual pleasure, but my mind is far from his reach. Suspended in a sacred place, I reserve for my deeper thoughts, for my quintessential questions that go unanswered, such as, who created God and why am I here? My stream of consciousness fills the private space, providing refuge for my thoughts. Thoughts that want to put Alex close, that want to pull Alex close, that want to permit tenderness to enter the region of my brain that takes a battering every time it 
His, his open mouth swats me like a fly on, on his pie. When the marvelous sensation of orgasm overtakes me, and Alex rears his head, victorious in believing. All right. Okay. He's conquered me. That I'm vulnerable and my passion for life indelibly tied to the performance he gives. I am safely locked in a room in my mind that Alex can't enter. One in which he can't cause me pleasure or pain. Sitting here at the levee, feeling sorry for myself, siphoning hope from my gut faster than the river's flowing. I have to believe that tomorrow may be the day Alex and I can locate the morsel we're missing that made us, us. I just have to find a way to feel better until we're able to do that. I guess it couldn't hurt to call Ryan and just talk. I've got to do something to divert my attention from my marital problems and from the super cuddly couple that are huddling so close on the bench that they appear to have one head. <laughs> I dial Ryan's number, hoping he hasn't changed it since the last time we spoke. The familiar raspy voice on the line makes me hesitate. Hi, Ryan, it's Savannah. Been a while, huh? I'd say probably over a year, man. I thought I'd never hear from you again. I know, I was trying to be good. I can't suppress a giggle. But, oh, good's not working for you? Ryan chuckles. Guess not. Things with Alex are... My fingers caress the hard leather gear shift. Well, could we meet and talk? I'd really like to see you. When? How's now? I say, wishing I hadn't seemed so eager. You always were a crazy girl, Ryan says. I have Brianna this weekend, and she has a friend over, so we can't come here. Could you meet me at Super 8 in Mudsock? Let's say 30? The boy on the bench squeezes the girl to his chest. They're getting high on hormones, while a gaunt fellow hands a wad of bills for his fix to the arm extending out of the window of the maroon car. Sure can, I say, wanting my own kind of buzz. Okay, you're on, Ryan says. Oh, I suppose, like a cancer-filled dancing girl, kicking her legs high to impress the audience while slowly dying. But if impressing people is an art, I'm Michelangelo. Even if Alex doesn't think so, I peer into a visor mirror, a dab of powder under my puffy eyes, dark cherry gloss on my lips, and I'm off. I'm zipping across the bridge into Ohio, relieved to be on it rather than diving into the icy depths below. When a message pops up from Ryan telling me he's checked in minutes later, I pull in the motel parking lot, bumping across the cracked blacktop until I wedge in between a van and a dumpster by the back door. Cheesy place. Last time I was here with Kent, I swore I'd never come here again. I wonder what he's been up to. Last time I saw Kent, he was throwing candy from his church's float in the Christmas parade. His wife to his right, singing with a wagon full of children stacked on, on hay bales. He was never going to leave her for me, and I'm quite sure I didn't want him to. Through my shades, the narrow hall is dark and welcoming like a dilly river, and I allow myself to be enticed to what awaits behind the door number three. When Ryan opens the door, wearing only jeans and a smile, I step into my cube of paradise and collapse into his arms. Okay, if you're liking what you're hearing over on TikTok, please be sure to tap that screen. Send, you know, send, send me some likes, trying to build myself up. We're just getting California Haunts Radio started over on TikTok, so the more you guys can help us out, I'd appreciate it. So please, uh, you know, please keep tapping that screen. Same thing goes for Facebook and everywhere else that people are listening. Please be sure to hit those like buttons. My purse slides off my shoulder onto the floor as I nuzzle against his chest that's been hewn from an Olympic barbell. I'm so tired of dealing with Alex, I say, pressing my waist to his, wanting to feel close to someone, 
He just doesn't understand me. Ryan squeezes me close. I close my eyes and imagine how me, how we must look like the couple at the park. All snugly and content. Ryan relaxes his hold on me, and I look up into his eyes that are mocha-colored like the coffee I like. I feel helpless as his fingers glide from my chin to my neck. I watch as he squeezes as he squeezes me and yanks my hoodie over my head, his teeth tugging playfully at the bra strap draped loosely around my shoulder. My skin tingles as Ryan's fingertips play the entire length of my arms. Feeling like a cub being dragged along by its mama, I allow him to knit to nibble my neck and nudge me closer to the bed with each skin-surfing bite. I should stop him, but I may as well enjoy his sinfully pleasant touch. God's probably already mad at this morning's tirade, and if that didn't, if, if, if that didn't mess me to the, if that didn't, if that didn't send me to the firing pit, one more offense isn't going to hurt. Ryan grabs me with both hands. I smash my belly to his, arching the small of my back his roughness of his hand, and he unsnaps my bra. I grasp his hands and wrap my mouth around his finger, sucking it like a creamsicle, and gazing into his heat-filled eyes. I feel his attention streaming into me, standing away from the scars that Alice's verbal beating and polishing every cell with the hope I need. Shadows of our bodies dance on the green wall, making me dizzy. I want to let go, not think anymore. Just enjoy the sensation of being desired. It sure beats finding peace under a river current. Okay. I deserve to be hurt. I shouldn't be here. But the intoxicating feeling of being wanted overrides the sickness in my stomach. So I close my eyes and let go. I hear, another, I hear a growl and another growl and realize he must want me bad. He moves faster, claiming me like a dog that's a fire hydrant. Whoa. As he withdraws and rolls off my damp flesh, I lay still, my hand resting on my belly, wishing I could cling rack myself to the spongy mattress, suspending my weight. Maybe I deserve to be stuck here, glued to this bed of shame. I smooth my hand across the gritty sheet that reeks of a cigarette I didn't smoke. I cringe. Mine isn't the only grudge in this bed. Ryan's hand stops mine and lifts it to his mouth for a quick kiss. The glory of the transient moment has absconded, along with my earlier resolve to cultivate the divine seed that could quite possibly grow the love for myself I need. I inhale a musty mix of sex and sweat. I feel miserable. I'm worth more than this two-bit motel. Sex with Alex is degrading too, but at least our bed is clean. Next time, it'll be the Hilton or his house. I wrinkle my nose at the thought of a next time, of another encounter that makes me feel worse about myself than Alex does. I squeeze, I squeeze Ryan's hand. It's not his fault that I feel this way. I called him if I was I called him. If I wasn't married, if I were free to love someone else, that someone could be Ryan. He looks into my eyes and brushes my cheek with his fingers. For a second, I imagine it's Alex touching me like this. But his words... From earlier, boom through the mirage I'm creating. Can't you do anything right? I spring to my feet. I spring to my feet. You in a hurry, babe? Brian asked, standing up and cleaning up. Not a chance of that in this psyche love shack, I think, tugging on my hoodie and faking a smile. 
It was amazing, Love Bear. But I'm all out of practice, remember? Love Bear? Where'd that come from? You're, you're growling at me, I say, bending down to retrieve my clothes. What do you mean growling? I didn't growl at you. Ryan waddles past me and swatting me on the rear with the other. Uh, it swats me on the rear. Sorry about that. Sure you did, twice. You were into it. You must have been into it. You're hearing things. Ryan says over a commode flush. Anytime you need to practice, just call me. Will do, I say, satisfied to know I'm good at something, even if what I'm good at makes me more miserable than if I were at nothing. Good at nothing. Love Bear prances back to the room. Gotta go, I whisper, sliding one of them around his back. Text me later. I add, more out of sense of obligation to that. To, to them because of what I want, want or because I want to. Walking the digi corridor, I feel like I'm deep in the recesses of a swamp and treading toward the surface. I can't believe I just let that happen. I only wanted his arms around me. Maybe I really am crazy, even though I've never been diagnosed as such. One minute I'm wanting my marriage to work, and the next I'm slithering out of the hotel where I met another man. I push my sunglasses onto my face and exit out the back edging around the trash bin and into my clean car. I'm relieved to see Keegan's truck excuse me, in the back driveway when I return home. Alex won't yell at me in front of his dad. I pop the trunk, snag the groceries I planted earlier, and with a triumphant stride for staying one step ahead of Alex, reach the kitchen door just as Alex and Keegan emerge from the garage. Alex makes two of Keegan. Alex makes two of Keegan, towering over his dad's slender frame like a gorilla over a stork. You're just getting back, Alex says, brushing white, brushing white dust from his hands on his big overalls. What the heck took you so long? Long lines. Everyone in Wooten County who's on welfare got their checks this week. You know, I say, attempting to turn the doorknob with bags dangling from my wrist. Keegan stand, steps up behind me. Here, dear, he says. He holds the door open and winks at me. Big flirt. I thank him. Shuffle off through the wooden door and heave the bags into the kitchen counter, smiling at the twice-bagged items that lend a new meaning to the word recycle. Keegan drives off and Alex bounds in, flakes of drywall falling from his shirt. I'm starving, he says, rustling through the bags. You fixing dinner? I reach into the bag. He's abandoned a flash of smile at the robust can of baked beans and seem proud to aid in my cover-up. Grilled cheese and soup, I say. Soup. I'm talking about food. Mashed potatoes, meatloaf. You buy any real food? Alex peels open a bag of almonds, tosses a handful into his mouth, and stares at me, crunching and waiting. I guess for me to say, I guess for me to say, His Highness's sirloin will be served promptly. Really, does he expect me to ignore his outburst this morning? Pretend I enjoyed his rant. My eyes burn as I scan the cabinet for the soup-labeled tomato. The boys will gobble up the warm food even if Alex refuses the only nourishment. I snap the can into the opener. You're hungry, and soup's quick. Forget it. I'll eat cereal. Fend for myself like usual. Alex slams the faucet lever forward, the sink, shoving his brawny hands under the spigot and splashing water up the wall. Boys upstairs? I ask, stirring the soup. What? Alex says, flicking the dust off his shoulders with a dry, with a dry dishcloth. Oh yeah, upstairs. Alex, I say, watching the red soup bubbling like blood in the pan. You act like you hate me, do you? He scowls over the box of Captain Crunch in his hand. Are you stupid? As he rambles on about how, after fourteen years of marriage, he should know I wouldn't—he should know I wouldn't help him with the construction project this morning because I never do. 
All I can do is stare at the word captain on the box and think, oh, captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The prize we sought is won, is won and wonder what treasure I've earned from my marriage if it is indeed over. Able and freedom for the slaves while keeping the country intact. But I'm in uncharted water with Blackbeard for a captain and don't trust his guidance to find the love and acceptance I'm searching for. I did want to help. It was just too heavy. I scoot the pan off the burner and amble toward the table where Alex is sitting, hoping he'll see the tears trickling off my chin and say that, of course, he doesn't hate me, that he loves me more than he could possibly say in words. But all I get is, ugh. I'd like to smack that smug grin off his face. Arrogant. He thinks he's invincible, so tough no one can hurt him. Maybe no one can. Maybe he's the Tin Man. That would make Dor that would make me Dorothy, and right now I want to be anyone but who am but who I am. Makes me wonder, if I could click my heels and be anywhere, where would I be? Would I be alone? And would alone be better than staying with Alex? I walk zombie-like to the laundry room in the basement and collapse into a pile of dirty laundry. I want to leave. I want to stay. I want to scream and cry. Why can't I make Alex understand that I want him to love me? To love me even though I'm not perfect. Love's supposed to be enough, yet, with him, nothing I do is ever enough. I stopped drinking, started working out, pumping iron, eating fish. Thought if I had a tighter tush, Alex would be happier and that, we would make, and that would make me happier by proxy. But that theory is as dried out as the tears on my face. Pain sears through my hands. I look down and remove my fingernails that are embedded in my palms. I press my hands to my heart as if the pressure can keep it from pounding out of, out of its cavity. Guess living in my own warped world helps me re relate to troubled teens at Ridgeland High who share stories about how cutting their flesh actually makes them feel better. I like to think that as a teacher, I have better coping skills than they do. Mutilating my body has never appealed to me, but my brain. That's a bobber of a toy. In my search for self-worth, I become addicted to controlling something in my life that Alex can't control. That something is sex with other men. Even when he found out about a few of the affairs I've had, he forgave me, and rightfully so, considering his gun belt replaced his fidelity belt years ago. But if he finds out I'm cheating again, he may leave me, and he could get custody of the boys. He's chummy with most of the judges in the county. If you like what you hear, everybody over there on TikTok, be, be sure to tap that, that screen. Show me some love. Show me some love because I want to keep doing this. Like I said, I'm launching my show over here, and, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot more. All right? Okay, everybody out there in Facebook land, if you, like, if you like what you hear, please hit that like button. A world without my boys, without Alex, is petrifying. Like the idea of free falling through a black hole. Screwing around is not worth the risk of living in a separate house than my boys do. Not worth the risk of being known in the community as Templeton's cheating ex. Nor possibly living the rest of my life alone. But I need to funnel this pain somewhere. So that it doesn't soak the seed of hope inside me, rotting it before I can nourish it. With the ability to survive that I have to believe God gave me. I pull a soft gray sock from a pile beneath my sitting bones and blow my nose. These slashes I'm carving into my cerebrum may be more painful, maybe more similar to those etched across the stomachs and wrists of my disturbed students than I care to admit. My struggle to prove to Alex that I can do something right has to be for a reason. Doesn't every struggle have to be a reason? 
I have to figure out a way to find peace. I just hope it's not at the bottom of the river. Chapter 2. All right, as we continue through this, guys over there on TikTok, if you if you like what you hear and you enjoy hearing stories like this, it's, this is going to get very paranormal. This is just, you know, building everything up. Please tap that screen. Please tap that screen and show me some love. I'm looking to build everything up brand new here for TikTok and, you know, just working my way through. We're going to have a lot more going on. Same thing with Facebook and YouTube. Stool of Terror. As night settles, I climb in bed, turning away from Alex and curling my legs tight against my stomach. I drift off to sleep, entering a world where Ryan lies beside me. His fingers stroke my round hip, making me feel like he's relishing every moment he's near enough to touch me. His hands smooth my hair, gaze at my bare shoulders before pulling me close for a kiss, a kiss I don't feel. Somehow Ryan's gone, and I'm in a cramped, dingy room, cradling a baby girl in my arms, bringing the baby's smooth cheek to mine. I kiss the infant's fingers, inhaling the fragrance of new life and wondering why I'm taking care of this precious child. I scan the room for the baby's parents, but see no one. My bundle feels lighter. Looking down into my blanket-filled arms, I see there's no baby. I scream, but the air is void of sound. Gasping, I wake and glance at the red 2.30 glowing from my alarm clock. A feeling of weightlessness washes over me as my arms stretch above my head. My body rises effortlessly and floats to a tall stool sitting in front of my dresser, a stool I've never seen before. As soon as I realize it shouldn't be there, I'm sitting on it and watching a fog form around my dresser. I'm not dreaming anymore. I'm reeling on this stool even though I don't understand how I got here. My body doesn't look or feel human. The solid, earthly consistency of my familiar physical body is now a transparent spirit form, a fluid motion of iridescent energy which swirls with swirls of light coursing through and radiating from within. I stare at my hands, turning my palms over and over again, and watch the aura around them glow like the like the bioluminescent bay I kayak through in Puerto Rico, awestruck, that I can control such extremities, and that a single thought sets them into motion. I am the aura. I am the light. Yet I'm still me. And I know I'm the observer of a truth not visible unless the veil between worlds is parted, like now. This is unreal, yet more real than any experience I've ever had in the third dimension. I shudder. I'm not alone. Keeping my head bowed, I peer into the peripheral space to my left and right, where, where sparkling white entities around me. Somehow I know they are angels. Without any physical contact or audible command, the angel directly in front of me insists that I raise my head and look into my dresser mirror. I sense the angel can read my thoughts, and I silently plead with him to spare me the sight. I know what I'll see. The most horrific me I've ever seen. My true self. But my will is irrelevant. I must obey. My head begins tilting upward. I strain to stop it, but I can't regain control, and within seconds, I'm fixated on my reflection. My entire face looks crispy, carved like a pumpkin and deep-fried with charcoal black scars, disfiguring my cheeks and forehead. The crown of my elongated head sways to the left and waves into a tapered point. My eyes are locked into the window to my soul, but my blue eyes aren't the only ones staring back at me in the mirror. A demon's gaze is boring through me. I want to escape, to scream and run, but I'm paralyzed as I stare at the grotesque face that's fused to mine. My face is a demon's face, pure evil. 
I'm unable to bear the macabre vision another second and suddenly crash back into my physical body that's still lying on the bed. I jerk my head off the pillow and snap on the lamp, feeling like I've just snorted an ammonia capsule from the record-breaking squat in powerlifting in a powerlifting meet. I scour the room for any remnant of evil emanating from my mirror, ready to scream at the first sight of any spirit, good or bad. The stool I just sat in is gone. There are no angels or fog. Everything in the room is the same as before. Everything except me. I just lost my thoughts. There it goes. Have I gone mad like Ophelia in Hamlet? Or did I really just see a demon in my reflection? And if a demon is in my mirror, does that mean it has taken residence in my soul? Or do demons just pop into people's mirrors on a whim? If it's really in here, inside of me, how long has it been here and how the hell do I get rid of it? A terrifying thought grips me. The demon might be able to hear my thoughts right now and, in an effort to prevent me from making it leave, could impale me or eject me from the bed and hurl me toward the ceiling like in a movie I saw about a possessed girl. I shake Alex's shoulder. Alex, did you hear me get out of bed? Huh? He mumbles. You hear me get up? I ask, still shaking him. I need someone to snap me out of this nightmare trance. What? I'm sleeping, he says, brushing my hand away. I walk to the dresser, but not with my feet. Something evil is here, I say, leaning against the headboard and realizing I sound as insane as I feel. Alex drapes his arm over my leg. Oh, Sav, you're dreaming. I remained silent, hoping it was just a dream. But it seemed real, as real as me, as real to me as the purple tulips embroidered on the quilt beneath my hand. I need to write about what I just experienced. I dig my journal from the nightstand, and something literally falls off of it and onto the bed. I brush my hand across the sheet, but the glitter is gone. I rub my eyes, thinking the bizarre things I'm seeing tonight could be a result of eating too late. Grandma Lenny always told me not to go to bed on a full stomach, but I just thought it was an old wives' tale. Let me get in here. Okay, um, there's an entry. I'm going to go ahead and try and read it if I can. I have to like really enlarge this, and I don't see it. Now I'm on my Mac, so I'll skip the entry. So, okay. I hate to skip the last entry, guys, but I can't read it. The last sentence sounds so weak. So not me. But maybe his strength counters my weaknesses, and maybe that's why I strive to meet his expectations and what he thinks a wife should be. I can't ever let Alex find this journal or let him know I'm desperate for his approval. He would think I'm pathetic, and pathetic is worse than being the unhelpful wife he thinks I am. I write, March 16, 2006, in the journal, and scratch out the scariest nonfiction notes I've ever written. I recorded my dreams since I was a teen, but never had a supernatural event to chronicle until now. I'm definitely not telling Alex what I saw in the mirror. He would tell me, he would tell his officer buddies how loony I am, and every time they would stop by to ridicule some dirt, some dirtball latest escapade, they'd say, so savvy, you seen Satan's shadow lately? And laugh at me too. But I am willing to risk praying aloud in front of my stoic husband. Evil is present in this room, even if it's not in me. I press my palms together close enough to my mouth that I feel my breath and invoke aid from, from the God I can't see, from the one who may not even exist, because 
My hope that he does is all I've got. Should my belief that a su supreme being guides me here on earth ever vanish, I would, I would combust, like a punctured aerosol can, and dissipate into nothingness. Good Lord Jesus, I say, pl please place angels around me and my family to, to protect us from evil that's here. Any evil spirit that is in this house right now, I command you to leave in Jesus' name. I toss in what I can remember from Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I will fear no evil. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me, amen. Alex hasn't moved his arm from my leg or cut a joke. He's either scared of whatever it is he thinks I saw, or of me having lost my mind, or both. I bury the journal deep in the drawer, click off the lamp, and ease down into the sheets, smiling at the thought of him being frightened of anything. In the morning, I smack the snooze pad, feeling woozy like I drank from a trash can full of spiked grape Kool-Aid, like I did in college. As I untangle my legs from the sheets, I wonder why my glutes are sore. I didn't hit the weights yesterday. The image of a sweat of a sweaty climaxing Ryan flashes through my mind, and I realize how my hips got to work out without squatting. He made me feel wanted. And sex was it was magical. Now remorse is piling up like blankets on my bed. I bury my face in my pillow and breathe in the safe, clean smell of downy. I'm glad I'm home, even though living with Alex is challenging. I'm probably not easy to live with either. I'm selfish with my time. I'd rather read or shop or even clean house than hand Alex a wrench under the hood of a car, under the hood of a car, and he knows that. What he doesn't know is my attempts to help him, made with great effort. I genuinely want to have assistance. I genuinely want him to have assistance on his building and repairing projects. I just don't want to be the one who has to provide it. Working with him requires communication, and communication with Alex entails him screaming and me crying. The entire cycle of attempting to understand what he wants from me and of him trying to articulate what he needs is exhausting. I lumber towards the dresser. A vague sense of dread makes me stop. The dresser, the mirror, something happened last night. My memory snaps like rubber bands, stringing me with images of my demon reflection, making me feel like I, I'm bound to the stool of terror again. Ever since we moved into this house, I've heard knocking in the wall directly behind my dresser but blamed it on the clamorous old water pipes located in the adjacent bathroom, not on the demon that's polite enough to knock and wait for an invitation to enter. If that's the case, I certainly didn't intend on extending one with yesterday's outburst in the shower. With sunlight sneaking into the room through the parted curtains, it's hard to fathom that last night a gruesome face stared back at me in this mirror. I touched the glass. There's not even a fade of fog or of a demon in it now. Was I dreaming, or could there really have been a demon in me? I study my face for a lingering trace of the scars I saw last night, but only see a few creases, cre uh, creases that retinol can correct, and I wonder if the scars I can't see today are visible in another realm. Can the shame from auctioning my body like, like it's a Da Vinci knockoff, knockoff create real dents in my mortal flesh? If so, I don't know how to heal those. Maybe I can prevent them if I stop using sex with other men as a way of coping with my uncopacetic marriage. Again, if you like what you hear, please tap that screen on TikTok. If, if you're liking what you hear with this with this story, I read every Sunday. Same thing with uh, YouTube and Facebook. Hit those like buttons. Aren't you going to get ready for church? Alex, Alex throws past naked and swats my rear on his way to the bathroom. I feel cheaper than I did yesterday when Ryan smacked it. I promise Ryan nothing. 
But to Alex, I pledge, till death do us part. I'm a liar and a cheat, even though I don't want to be. If what I learned in my in my evangelical youth troop is true, demons don't possess holy people, just sinners. Maybe it was just warning me to stop compromising my values and prostituting my soul. And just in time for Sunday, Redemption Day, think I'll head, think I'll heed the warning, and go and go to church. I scurry through the hall, chanting my favorite morning, re re chanting my favorite morning re revelry. Rise and shine, sweetie pies, rise and shine, banging first on Ben's door, then Isaac's. I order them to get their sleepy butts out of bed. I hear a few rumblings of life inside Isaac's room as something that sounds like a pillow hits the door. Silas greets me at Ben's door, so I open it, flip on the overhead light, saying, Come on, sweet pea. The world's spinning in a billion, spinning a billion miles an hour. Hop up and join the ride. Ben tumbles over, his legs jutting over the edge of his bed until his feet touch the floor. So I pop into Isaac's room, where he's sitting upright, cell phone in hand. I accept the progress with a thumbs up and burst into the bathroom, where Alex sits, texting on his semi-private throne. Good. I get the shower first. I slide open the glass door and turn on the faucet. I was just getting in there, Alex says. I smile and yell over the running water. You snooze, you lose. Snooze, yeah, right. You kept me up half the night playing crazy stuff. Praying crazy stuff. Said evil was here. You've lost your mind. You have a nightmare and no one gets any sleep. The commode flushes. Oh, Alex says. Bet that made your water cold. You bet. What? I say, not giving him the satisfaction of knowing I'm freezing. Never mind, he says. When Ben commandeers the bathroom, 15 minutes later, I step into my closet in the hallway. The cubby of a closet in the bedroom, I gladly bestowed the use off to Alex. And in a navy and into a navy skirt, the hem of which I wish today extended a little more toward my knee. I hear Alex asking where his clean underwear are, but I say, stay quietly sequestered in my closet, the best hideout in the house, and look out the window at the frost-covered backyard, glad that this may be the last day I have to wear tights. Spring whistles in next week, carrying the possibilities of fresh starts, and I wonder if I will get mine. The bowing pine trees remind me I should be on my knees praying to never again see the macabre vision I did last night. I've read about Shirley MacLaine's out-of-body experiences, but didn't lend them any credence till now. After morphing into an unfamiliar spiritual plane and playing the uncordial hostess to a visitor from hell, I've reconsidered the possibility that my spirit can detach from my body, and I hope that if the demon was real, it was just passing through and hasn't taken up residence in me. The idea that I had been breathing in a body on the bed made of flesh and bones while simultaneously inhabiting an ethereal one consisting of swirls of energy defies any scientific explanation that I would understand, even if there is one. I saw myself from an abhorrent perspective, one that I hope to never see again. Twenty minutes later, I click out the door in my heels and am still tugging the truck door closed when Isaac says, Ben won't let me borrow his BB gun. I always take care of his stuff, he says. I don't. It's BS, Mom. I guess a peaceful ride to church with my three musketeers is too much to expect. Ben, what's the big deal about letting him borrow it? Mom, Ben says. You know, he lost my Mario game and a million other things. He loses everything. I'm sick of it. He can use his own BB gun. 
I didn't lose your stupid game then. Isaac pulls forward using my seat as leverage and peers around my shoulder. Timmy's coming over today to shoot with me, and he doesn't have one. Alex backs onto the main road, joining the chaotic chorus. For crime's sakes, will you all just shut up? I ring out a laugh. Perfect time for a mini Bible lesson. Aw, oh, man. Thanks, Isaac. Ben says, raising his hands, as if praying for divine intervention. You guys know who Solomon was? I asked, turning to my young scholars. Yeah, Mom. Is fired in unison. Let's hear it. What do you know about him? He was a king, Isaac says. I nod to Isaac and prompt Ben, whose silence announces his cluelessness. He and prompt sorry, and prompt Ben, whose silence announces his cluelessness. He was king when two women claimed to be the mother of one baby. Oh yeah, Ben says with a nod. I remember Solomon, and he sliced the baby in half, but he didn't have to because the real mom said not to. He sticks an earbud in one ear as if the lesson as if the lesson were over. I snap my fingers until his ear canal ear canal, I'm sorry. I snap my fingers until his ear canal is clutter free. Yep. He was wise enough to know the real mom would allow the other woman to take the baby so he wouldn't kill it. Maybe I'd be wise to lock all the BB guns in the closet so no one can use them. I maintain stare down mode so they'll think I'm serious, but I'm not. I don't want them inside complaining they're bored. Isaac, you can borrow the gun, but if anything happens to it, you're buying Ben a new one. Ben flashes his baby blues at me in protest as Lady Gaga blasts through the car speakers about how she's on the edge of glory. I feel like I'm on the edge of insanity. Squirting toward Alex, who must have wanted to hear anyone except me, I punch the radio knob to stop the intrusion. I wish I had the nerve to punch Alex's nose instead. Neither of you got exactly what you wanted. That's compromise. Since you two weren't compromising, I played the role of Solomon. Guess that makes me wise. I face forward, pleased with my dispersal of wisdom and wishing all my dilemmas were solved so easily. Alex pipes up. Sure, Savvy, if you're so smart, when are you going to start making some real money? Yeah, Mom, make some money, Ben says. I pretend to ignore both of them but I feel like my heart's been punctured like a hot dog on a roasting fork. Alex saying the meaning things to me is bad enough, but he's got the boys doing it. How can I explain to Ben that what he said was hurtful, even though he's just repeating what his dad said? I've talked to both boys before about the same issue, and they laughed it off with an, oh, mom, Dad, dad's just joking. The boys didn't understand that Alex's jokes are comedy in his mind, but a tragedy in mine. I scribble a check for double the usual amount for our church contribution, hoping God doesn't think I'm bribing him even though I am. Bribing him to forget all the compromises I make daily, like my values when I take a lover other than Alex. Bribing him to make me strong enough to stop compromising my self-esteem by permitting my husband to berate me like the only other woman he ever degraded, his mother. The ten-minute pilgrimage to my Mecca in Mudsog Heights seems to take an hour. The second the truck completely stops, the boys fling open the doors to freedom from my presence and the possibility of another lecture, as if they're headed to prime seats in the Steelers game. I follow behind my charges, feeling satisfied for the moral guidance I imparted and relieved to have a break from my duty as peacekeeper. On the inside of the church, my sore derriere meets the, meets the hard pew as I join the conversation in singing, I'll fly away, and I wish I could. 
I'd fly up and perch on the neck of, of the hot guy in the peach shirt sitting two rows ahead. A dimpled boy looking a sucker climbs into the man's lap. What am I thinking? He's someone's daddy, for goodness sake. I tuck my hair behind my ear and my guilt into my gun. Oh, my gut. I'm sorry. I peel my eyes off the yummy distraction that Satan himself must have, must have told to sit smack dab in front of me and force myself to stare into the eyes of Jesus, who's pointed, who's painted with outstretched arms and wearing a red robe in the, in the painting behind the pulpit. For the reminder of the song, I force myself to peer into the eyes of the, of the imperial savior. I wish church could provide a sanctuary wherein my mind was free from temptation. But I guess that's not the way the whole living, that the whole living holy thing works. I'm going to be tempted, just like Jesus was by Satan's proposal. So the mountain, on the mountain, when the outcast angel promised the Son of God the world. But I think that temptation to sin or think lustful thoughts should be less appealing when God is sitting when you're sitting in God's house. For the next few verses of an unfamiliar contemporary tune, I study the depiction of my Lord, afraid to unlock my eyes from His even to look at the lyrics on the screen. I move my mouth as if I know the words while silently praying for God to patch the hole in my gut that's leaking decency like a sieve and fill me with modesty. But maybe it isn't modesty. I need as much as love. As I look into the eyes of my Savior, I envision him sitting at the well with a woman caught in the act of adultery, looking into her eyes with compassion and filling her with the love she was probably looking for. Just like I am. I keep staring at the painting, straining to extract love from the eyes of the man who died for me, hoping that my desire to be filled with his love has a redeeming value that will guide me to just half of the, the peace the lady at the well received from her divine visit with the master. A nudge on my arm, and the offering plate drips past me like a barge floated by, the, by on the river. I feel like I'm the only living thing in an irrelevant world. <laughs> an ant crawling across the glass of a framed still life painting looking for answers to burst forth and connect me to the other living beings. To all that I should know, but must have forgotten. Like why God sent me here have this earthly, to have this earthly experience and how to be happy in the process. I'm looking at the handsome face of Jesus, wondering how many women have tried to seduce him and how many were successful when I hear Pastor Todd praying to be led by the Spirit. God gave us the grace to endure that which we are given. That which he has ordained will be our lot in life. Trials will come, but with God's grace, we'll be victorious. His voice rises as if he can pierce my heart with the sword of the Spirit just by screaming, Grace is preferential treatment from the king of kings it is not the treatment we deserve but the treatment that his mercy avails us hallelujah his fist pounds the pulpit and rattles the attached lamp he's on a roll not in a holy roller way like in the like in the evangelical church i was raised into where people spoke in tongues yet more enthusiastically than late grandma lenny's presbyterian sermons were when i got more sleep enlightenment the pastor's voice fades, fades as my gaze strays from the pulpit and lights again on the man in peach a few rows ahead. I take a deep breath, imagining the scent of his cologne. If I were to nuzzle against the nape of his neck and how his quad muscles would feel under my bare butt where I just straddled him right here on the wooden bench. 
I pop a mint in my mouth and lay my hand on Alex's knee. If last night's brush with evil was any indication of my depraved condition, I should be daydreaming about devotions. I pry my focus from the fantasy of the pastor, whose lips are moving even though I'm not hearing a word, and wonder if I'm the only person here who's conjuring up a sex scene rather than a digesting sermon. As the altar call is ushered, and with congregation singing, would you be free from your passion and pride? There's power in the blood. My spirit moves towards the altar, but pride glues me to the pew. If I grovel to the sinner's bench, Mrs. Zavage, the lead agent in the gossip ring at school, will come up to me after the service, coddle me in her bosom, and assure me that she'll pray for me. She'll say, oh dear, how bad can it be? The prying little snitch. No, I'll deal with my demons privately, the obscure, promiscuous ones, and the one in my mirror. Okay, if you guys like what you're hearing, I'm going to continue to read till we hit chapter 3. So I'm going to continue with this. But if you guys like what you're hearing, TikTok, tap that screen. Show me some love. Send me some hearts. Same thing with everybody on Facebook and YouTube. The old hymn carries the memory of one, of one other exposure I had to a demon during a Sunday evening service when I was 13. A woman burst through the door of the evangelical church screaming and waving her arms wildly as she ran to the altar. Church members surrounded her and placed their hands on her back and shoulders, praying for God's peace to enter her. Her words were incoherent, and a putrid stench permeated the air when she burped. From several rows back, I smelled the burp, a foul meeting of rotted potatoes and sewer gas. If Satan were cologne, that was it. Someone announced that the stranger who possessed was possessed by a demon, which prompted parents to herd their young children to the social hall in the basement mumbling about the possibility that the demon, or worse, legions of them, would jump into the, into the little ones, the same way they jumped into swine in the Bible. The exorcism continued as preacher Bailey dipped his fingers into the anointing oil and deacons assumed positions closest to the possessed woman. While the deacons held, while the deacons held their arms to her side, sides, the pastor swung to the ribbon of rhythm of her jerking body, waiting for the opportune moment to maneuver his oily thumb to touch her forehead. Finally, he succeeded and commanded the evil that plagued the woman's soul to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. After several incantations and enough sweat to fill the Red Sea, a calm disposition replayed the crazed look, replaced the crazed look on the woman's face. Other than her bloodshot eyes and frazzled hair, she appeared normal. Shouts of hallelujah rang out from the brothers and sisters in, in Christ. The lady's peaceful demeanor after the prayers left no doubt in my teen mind that she had indeed been possessed and had been set free. But how am I supposed to know if a demon is really in me? I think I already look calm through my through my inside, though my insides feel like a nest of wasps as I buzz one thought to the other. From what's from what's my life's purpose to what's for dinner? And the ever-present lingering question. How can I continue to live with one foot on the stairway to heaven and one chain to Satan's bed of fire? For you that are joining us on TikTok and on the other networks, this is our Sunday reading day where I read from a paranormal themed book. And this is a book by Michelle Zirkel. And it's based on events that happened to her and her family. I'm wondering what became of the lady. When I feel a hand on my shoulder, look up to see Alex frowning down at me. 
great. He can tell I'm zoned out. I join the crowd that's already standing for the closing prayer, hoping Alex doesn't think something's wrong and interrogate me later. There's so much wrong, I wouldn't know where to begin. I wouldn't know how to tell my husband that I want to stay married, but that I can't unless I feel respected and loved. And he wouldn't grasp the urgency of it if I did. I wouldn't know the words to say that would permeate his being without threatening his ego and making him go off on me. I wouldn't know the words to say that would truly express my feelings of defeat and not being able to put a smile on his face. Words that would convey the depth of need I have to feel more than respected and loved. I want to feel admired. No, liked. That's it. I want him to simply like me. And were I to tell him that, he would tell me I'm stupid. That if he didn't like me, he wouldn't have married me. After the closing prayer, Alex and the boys scurry through the line, leading past the door where Pastor Todd is receiving sermon compliments. I imagine Pastor Todd's expression if I were to say, Great sermon, by the way, any idea how I floated out of my body last night and saw a demon in my mirror? Oh, and do you think it could be a morning for me to stop messing around? I'm up, hand extended, and the only word I can remember from his wisdom is trials. Enjoy the uplifting word on trials, I say, while the pastor pumps my hand, like he's trying to coax water from a well. God is mighty good, Savannah, an all-consuming fire. I smile, feeling like Dante's Inferno is blazing inside me and ready to erupt at any moment. The pastor probably thinks my perking expression is due to his awesome sermon, but I'm still picturing his face were I to tell him that just last night, a demon, straight from the lake of hellfire, revealed itself in my reflection. Walking out of the church and into March's coldness, I glimpse the juicy guy whose perched beach shirt I'd like to peel off. I tug on my skirt that's, that's wrenched well above my knee and proceed for the newest delicacy, even if he doesn't yet know he's on the menu. As my hand slides down the handrail, his eyes trail up, up my leg until they lock into mine. I know those eyes, those hazel eyes. The hunk's eyebrows shoot, shoot skyward, his right hand extending. Savannah Templeton, I didn't know you. I didn't know you come here. My hands just an elbow bend away, but he withdraws the offer, opens his arms wide, and squeezes me to him for a hug so intense I feel like the string of sinners flowing out of church are conjuring up all sorts of adulterous stories about me for discussion at the dinner table. I pull away and glance at the chatty, handshaking crowd who is oblivious to my thoughts and realize it's my imagination that stripped me naked with a view of the steeple full of people. Logan's, Logan's more buff than last year when he was a substitute teaching at Ridgeland High. What are you doing here, I say, realizing I sound like church is the last place I expect to see him. I mean, we're all hoping to make it to the penthouse in the sky. I remove my hand that somehow got draped over his wrist. I hear Carrie's dad passed away last month. Logan scratches his thick eyebrows. Big fiasco at the church we were going to. It split. About like what happened to your mom's church when you were young. But he rolls his eyes. Yeah, Carrie's taking it hard. So unexpected. She's in Utah finishing the estate paperwork. She'll be back next week. Logan bends down and picks up the toddler who's pulling on his pants leg. You still teaching? I trace a smile in the air a few inches from the real one shining on my face. One more grading piece, well, one more grading period till summer break. I tighten my sweater tighter around my, my middle, even if it's colder than 
the, the, the well diggers behind. Um, but out here. I raised my face, wishing the sunlight would warm my cheeks, and glanced toward the car where my men are buckled up, and probably arguing over something trivial like which brand of truck is more dependable, or how good a football player Alex was in college. Restless, hungry men in the car, I say. Nice surprise seeing you. We all need to get together. Do dinner or something. Sure do. So bye. Say bye to Savvy, Logan says, waving his boy's hand like it belongs to a puppet. The little tyke turns and digs his forehead into his dad's broad chest that I'd like to lay mine on. He's adorable, I say, stepping off the curb. You you got on at Mudsock Middle School, right? Logan says, yep. And after I complete one more class, I'll be ordained. Clomping across the brick road, I turned, flashing a thumbs up. Congratulations. I know he preaches sometimes, but I also know that hug was a few seconds longer than a pastorally embraced hello. Turning on the main road through Mudsock Heights, Alex asked me if peach is my favorite color. Sure. Alex can tell I'm attracted to Logan, but I'm not trying to make Alex jealous. I just enjoy talking to someone who actually listens to me. Logan's looks are just a bonus. Alex would listen to me if he thought I had anything worthwhile to say. My promise to Alex was till death do us part. But the reality is that I don't know if I'm willing to let the real me die in order to keep it. We just talked about his wife. Did you know Carrie's dad died a few weeks ago? Alex rolls, rolls his eyes. Sure you did. I did ask about her. Even though I could really care less how she is since she slept with Alex. But Carrie doesn't know I know about that. Oh, I could write a book about the things people don't know that I know. Well, I say, did you know? Know what, Alex says. That Carrie's dad died. Oh, no, Alex says. You mean, oh, no, isn't how terrible? Or, oh, no, you didn't know he died. Good God, Savvy. I just said I didn't know. For someone so smart, sometimes you're such an airhead. I looked through the bug-covered windshield. The sky, the perfectly defined sky, looks speckled with dirt. All I want is for Alex to understand what I'm saying. But even with 12 years of teaching experience, I'm not able to help him decode the English I'm speaking any more than I can interpret for him the ineffable language of my soul. Even though he may never understand a word I say, I have to make the effort to make him happy. I can't leave him knowing I had an ounce of effort left. Lunch is chicken. Baked beans, mashed potatoes. Sound good? There's silence, so I continue, trying to round up the enthusiasm for my efforts. And chocolate pie. Alex answers his phone. Yeah? I hear a male voice on the other end. Sounds like that. Sounds like sounds like a deputy. He's the most veteran officer in the wood in, in the Wooden County besides Alex, and wouldn't call unless it's important. Mom, I'm starving. Comes comes from one of the boys in the back seat. I turn, my finger to my lips with one hand, and massaging myself with the other, hoping Ryan enjoyed yesterday enough to text me. Which one called nine one one? Alex says, glancing my way. I watch him driving and talking, jaw clenched as he maneuvers the car effortlessly past a sidewalk full of people by the church on the corner. He is never off duty. He can just walk out of class when the bell rings like I do, but he chose his profession just like I chose mine, and I think he wouldn't be satisfied with any career other than law enforcement. For over two years, years I've sworn off other, other men and committed myself totally to Alex, hoping my faithfulness would draw us closer, but my devotion wasn't working. Even before yesterday, when I called Ryan, I look at the phone in my hand. 
I'm not sure how I'd respond if Ryan did 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 what want to hook up again. Just let me know if I need to come out, Alex says, hang, hanging up as he pulls in the garage. What happened? Darn domestic at Patterson's. I told him last time that someone's getting arrested if I have to come out there again. Alex slams the truck door. Idiot. All I have to do is nuke the potatoes and dinner's ready. I say, holding the side door to the open side door to the to the house open for my entourage. As I step into the kitchen, Isaac's already biting off a chunk of beef jerky, and Ben's holding open the refrigerator door with one hand and guzzling chocolate milk from the jug with the other. I'm starving. What's for lunch? Ben says between gulps. I feel like I'm in a time vortex. Does anyone even hear me? Alex, whose fork is stuck deep into a pan of brownies, says, Yeah, hun, what, what are we having? I can eat my shoelaces. Chocolate milk sprays out Ben's nostrils and splatters on the shelves of the open refrigerator. Ew, gross, Isaac sputters, chunks of Doritos spewing from his mouth to the countertop while Alex calls it, coughs up the brownie he's swallowing in his mouth. My jaws are tight, enough to crack a walnut. I wish I could spontaneously burst out in laughter with them, but if I do, I won't be prepared for that inevitable moment the laughter stops and Alex is on a tangent again. I don't want my aggression at being unheard to ruin the lightheartedness of this moment for my jovial tribe, so I swipe the counter with a rag, punch start on the microwave, and say, fortunately, my dear, you won't have to. Okay, that's it. We're stopping at Chapter 3, and let me pop on over here. Good book. Had to clean up some of the language. Kids listen to this stuff, so I had to clean up some of the language, but uh, so far the book's really good. Everybody on TikTok, uh, please be sure uh, to hit that screen for that like button. I want to see, it would be nice to have some hearts tonight. Um, same thing with uh, Facebook and the other places that I'm broadcasting from. And to give you an idea on TikTok, and I know I'm trying to talk to both to everybody here, uh, you know, this is just the start. We do this every Sunday. Read, you know, read from a paranormal theme book. This is based on a true story. I see everybody in this chat room over on over on stream uh, Facebook. Um, so we do this every Sunday, and we do broadcast Sunday through Friday uh, with paranormal guests that talk about the paranormal and other stuff as well, domestic violence, every every other thing we cover. So if you like what you hear right now. Keep tapping that screen. Same thing with you guys over here. All right. Anyway, that's going to end it tonight. Um, tomorrow, my guest is going to be Paul Blake Smith. He's And hopefully it works out. And we're going to be talking about President Eisenhower and his knowledge of aliens and, and the possible deal that he made with extraterrestrials. So that's going to be tomorrow's topic. That'll be our usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. And I, you know, and I, I hope you guys join me because it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Just a quick FYI. Uh, for the people that uh, are on my Patreon, and for the people that might want to be on the Patreon, I do have a Patreon set up for California Haunts Radio. And what we're doing over there is it's $5.50 a month. And what you get for $5.50 a month is you get early viewing of, excuse me, early viewing of shows. Uh, like I tend to do some, you know, there's a lot of time that we do pre-record shows to people that might be out of the country, like in England or Australia, or even here in the U.S., people that request doing a show on a, not a show day. Well, once those shows are edited, they go over to Patreon, and, they, and I usually don't air them until two weeks after they're on the Patreon. So Patreon members get to see them early, which is really cool. Plus, you can do it at your convenience. 
So uh, I, I, I would suggest, you know, this, if, if, you, if that sounds good to you, to head on over to the California Hans Patreon. Also, uh, starting next week, we're going to have guests like Nancy Matz and other guests that are on the show. And we're going to be doing extra sh- extra little meet and greets over there so you guys can ask questions of, of guests. Because sometimes, you know, during the chat room, maybe you don't have time to ask or you're too shy or I get busy and I don't ask your question. This is the chance for you to go on, you know, to have a chance to do that. So we're going to get start getting all that stuff implemented. Also, medium Karen Clark, who's on the California Haunts team, does, does remote readings for us is going to be going over to TikTok with me, and we're going to be doing live readings. So there's a bunch of stuff coming up, and I hope you guys decide to join the Patreon and then maybe go over to TikTok, and, you know, vice versa. Even TikTok, guys, come on over to the Patreon because, you know, there's going to be a lot going on over there. There's going to be a lot more going on on TikTok and all that good stuff. Okay, that being said, tomorrow's guest again is Paul Blake Smith. we talking about Eisenhower and extraterrestrials. Uh, if you like what you saw tonight, Please be sure to hit those like buttons and please be sure to share it. Let people know that that we're doing this and that we have a paranormal talk show during the week. Please be sure to do that. Share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California House Radio. And we're just looking to to build up our likes and our subscriptions and all that other stuff. So, uh, like I said, we're just getting our feet wet over on TikTok. So anything, anything you can do to help us out would be great. Okay, that being said. I'm going to call it a night, and I hope you guys enjoyed the book as much as I did. It's turning out to be a really, really good read, and uh, it should get more and more interesting as we go along. So if everything works out and we don't have any cancellations this week, we will be continuing the book from Chapter 3 on next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys, I'm canceling out Facebook here, so see you guys later. 